Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. position that you're looking for investment for your business to help you grow, scale, or possibly survive. Today's Start, Scale, Succeed podcast is with Babs Jameson, founder of Jameson Law, and we are going to be covering what you as a brand need to have in place to be investor ready. Now, Babs has been a guest of mine in the past, and we've been talking about copywriting and trademarking, but today we're talking about investment. So Babs, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have to say, Nicole, my name's now Babs Nealon. Do you know, I was going to ask you beforehand, and I was going to say, should I say Babs, should I ask beforehand? So yes, I'm here with Babs Nealon, not Babs Jameson today. Do you know why it's funny? Because not that I'm particularly pedantic about it, but when you said it there, I thought, who's that? Like, and it's only been six months since I changed my name, but it sounded weird when you said it now. I've just like totally changed. (laughs) Well, thank you, Babs Nealon, for joining us today. And for those people who haven't heard the first podcast, where, what are you about? What do you do? Um, so, yeah, so I set up Jameson Law, which is so it's after my maiden name. Um, I set up Jameson Law about three years ago now, um, originally in the UK and, and then expanded into Ireland. So now we, we kind of cover both jurisdictions. So we cover Scottish, Irish, um, English, Welsh, Northern Irish businesses. Um, and we are essentially helping small business owners and startups to get all their legals in place. Um, we try and do things a little bit differently from other firms. So we focus on fixed fee pricing, transparency speaking in plain English, not legal jargon, um, and telling you what you need to know rather than, oh my goodness, I've got these 100 things to do and it's going to cost me 50 grand. Like That's not what we're about at all. It's about having manageable legal risk and knowing what you need to do and knowing what you need to pay for, but not worrying about the things that you don't as well. And I have to say from using your, your yourself and your firm very recently, uh, having that peace of mind and you know, is, is, is definitely worth its weight in gold, but the process I found very easy with yourselves as business. And just, I think sometimes people, they're afraid of that legal side and, you know, afraid of what they don't know or think that they're going to be bombarded with jargon. And I can definitely say that your business and, and, and you as a team don't do that. So anyone who's thinking of, uh, or needs that legal help, definitely get in touch with, um, Babs and her team so thank you thank you I mentioned before we started recording about I'd been speaking to a couple of small businesses recently and they are looking for investment um either to help them grow or you know some of them are at that crossroads well it's either get the investment or they or they close what um but they weren't mentioning the legal side yeah so to be investor ready um as a small business well as any business really I suppose where what where should they start what do they need to do 
There's kind of two aspects to it. And when I first say to people, we need to get investor ready, they think, oh, that means I need to understand the investment process. And that that is really, really important. But that's actually not what I mean. Um, but there are two elements to it. So I will cover both. So, so getting investor ready is making sure that your business is in a position that an investor wants to invest in it, that the process is going to be straightforward and that they're not going to uncover something that terrifies them, makes them run away. I actually had a client very recently who was not investor ready, despite his best efforts, that actually wasn't his fault. Um, but the investor ran away and it happens. Mm. And, and founders think it won't happen, that they just need to get them in the door. But it happens through the legal process. Um, so it's about getting all that in place. Now, I, I'm sure we'll talk about this in more detail mm-hmm. today, but it's 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 looking at if an investor is going to open the car bonnet into your business and dig in, what are they going to find? And that's the process as part of getting investment that we call due diligence. It's when mm-hmm. investors will ask questions, route around your documentation, depending on how, you know, if you're just starting out or if you're a couple of years down the line, this, the length of that process and what they're going to find is going to be you know, quite different. But regardless of where you are in that stage, they will be looking for certain things and they'll expect you to have taken certain steps. And with the example I've just given you, they didn't like something they saw and they actually walked away. Um, that's not always the case. They might try and take more equity for less money. They might offer you less money for the same amount of equity. Um, or they might say to you, OK, our investment is on pause until you go and fix all of these things. You might have been relying on that money to come in at the end of the month to pay you. Maybe you've not taken a salary in a while and all of a sudden it's not coming in till six months time. So it's, it's about making sure all your ducks are in a row with that kind of stuff. And when you say ducks in a row, can you give some examples of the, the kind of things that investors are expecting you to have? And I know there, there might be quite a bit of a list and it will depend on your type of business. But what are those ducks essentially? <laughs> So I can't remember if I spoke about this on our last podcast, but we we at Jameson Law, we talk about the legal leverage framework, which is kind of the different elements that we think every business should have. Now, some will apply more to others, but everybody needs to think about all of them. Um, and that legal leverage framework has been kind of based on what investors or, or buyers or whatever will look for. Um, and there's kind of certain key elements to that. So the first one is that you've been set up correctly. So, you know, you've registered as a company properly. You've filed what you needed to. You've registered with the Information Commissioner's Office for GDPR. 99% of businesses need to register with the Information Commissioner's Office. Um, so if you think it doesn't apply to you, it does. So that's the kind of thing <laughs> right on your list. Um, that, that's the kind of thing. That they'll one of the first questions under GDPR will be, have you registered with the ICO? So um, that's ICO.org.uk. It should cost you £40 a year and they'll re- they'll remind you every year. So that's a really important one and it take it will literally take you two minutes. Um, so that's the first part. The second part is about making sure that you've got good client contracts in place or terms and conditions. So if you're maybe an e-commerce provider or you're selling kind of downloadable software or something like that. An investor will ask to see your standard terms and conditions. What do clients sign up to? If there's something in that that they don't like, um, or if there's something in that that's very clearly copied and pasted from a competitor and doesn't protect you, they're not going to like that. Um, Equally, if you're kind of more like a service-based business, you might be having um, like a kind of 
standard client contract in place that you send for them to sign. Maybe it's amended for each particular client, but they'll want to know that you have a contract in place with those clients. If you think about it from an investor's perspective, they want to know that you've got guaranteed revenue for a particular period of time. Um, if you're signing up a client for a fixed one year, that's fantastic. They want to see that in writing. If you've just kind of got a woolly arrangement where nothing's written down and the client could walk away at a moment's notice, that's not as attractive a proposition for them. So that's your client contract side. If I can just ask a question that relates to that, if you're an e-commerce business, um, mm -hmm. so you are supplying products in terms of yeah. that you don't have those contracts as such in terms of guaranteed no. business mm -hmm. but so then it's making sure you need to make sure your accounts are in order and that you are yes. um that you've done your VAT correctly your tax correctly all those all kind of, of things. that all of that but also if you're an e-commerce business you're selling products online they'll want to see your standard client terms and conditions so what does a customer accept when they order from you do you, have you covered consumer rights have you dealt with 14 day cooling off periods all of those kind of things um how, what's your returns procedure how, how are you exposed have you protected yourself legally all of that all of that stuff if you're e-commerce and, yeah. and i suppose then as well making sure that you've got the right insurances in place like product liability yes. and that as well yes so yeah i actually should have mentioned that under kind of setting up your business properly so yes if you're a service provider Definitely, they'll be looking for professional indemnity cover. If you're an e-commerce provider, it'll be product liability. If you have any staff, they'll look for employer's liability. That's a legal requirement. Um, and then you might have specific other insurances for your particular industry. But those are the three that to think about is kind of public and product, professional indemnity and employer's liability. And I suppose it's really important to have those it just stands you in good stead, makes you look more yeah. professional to that investor that 100%. you know what you're doing, you know? Yeah, 100%. If they see that you've been running your business without insurance, that's going to be a big alarm bell mm -hmm. because they'll think, well, what if you did something six months ago that you don't know you did yet? Yeah. And you're even if you get insurance today, it's not going to cover you for six months ago. So it's kind of important to get that sooner rather than later. And um, the next level that I would be thinking about is what are your arrangements with suppliers? So do you have manufacturers that you're working with? Um, or if you're an online business, do you have like payment providers or do you or what do your um, arrangements with contractors or freelancers look like? Um, or employees if you have them. So they'll want to see all of those contracts. They'll expect those to be in place. If you've promised equity to contractors or something like that, they'll expect that to be documented and written down properly. So that's on kind of the flip side where you're the client, but you're obtaining services. They'll want to see those contracts as well. Um, the next one is a biggie, which is brand protection. So regardless of what state your business is in, they will expect you to have at least applied for a trademark in the country or countries that you're planning on operating in. Now, a UK trademark takes about three to four months. Same for an EU one. A US trademark can take about a year. So they don't expect you to have a registered trademark if you're just starting out, but they expect your application to be in and for it all to be going well. If you think about it from their side, they don't want to invest 100 grand in a business and then find out that the branding isn't really owned by you because you're actually infringing on someone else's. And um, is an Irish trademark still 10 months or has that come down? It is 10 months. Um, however, if you go for an EU one, you get it in three or four and it covers Ireland. 
So what so I that's say to why people, people need to speak to you. I know. <laughs> I must have sorted. I know. You might have just been going for an Irish one. I know. So this is why I say to people, there's there's two disadvantages with going with an Irish one. That doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean it's always inappropriate to have an Irish one. If if you're if you're a business only selling to Ireland and you will only ever sell to Ireland, get an Irish trademark. 100 percent Don't worry about anything else. And um, if you're selling to Ireland, but you might sell to Spain and France in a couple of years time, there is no point in getting a, an Irish trademark. It takes way longer. I mean, it takes three times the time. Um, but also you're essentially increasing your fees because you'll pay three to four hundred euro for an Irish trademark. You'll then go and pay about eight to nine hundred euro for a European trademark, but it already covers Ireland. Yeah. So you're, you're paying it's more money. Yeah, it's yeah, wasted yeah. money um, and you'll get an EU one quicker. An EU one's more expensive, which is why I say don't get it if you don't have any plans for expanding into the EU. Um, but if you do, then I would just I would go with that. You'll get it quicker anyway. And any other ducks that you want to talk about there in terms of it in the row? Yeah. So um, they'll be looking at how your website is run. So do you have kind of terms of use on your website? Do you have a privacy policy? Do you have a nice annoying cookies banner that pops up whenever someone comes on? They'll want to know all of that. Um, they will also be looking at things like if you do have employees, do you have proper records of them? Have there been any disciplinary issues? Have there been any other kind of legal investigations? I mean, probably we're all early enough in the business that nothing like that has come up yet. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But they'd expect that. Um, the example of the client that I had recently, he had had a litigation threatened against him. Um, now, the people had gone away and nothing yeah. had come of it. But the investors weren't comfortable that they wouldn't come back, that they wouldn't so see it hadn't closed. It'd it been hadn't brought. closed. Right. So okay. that's why I say it wasn't his fault, because actually, if he goes and asks them now to close it, it'll just poke the bear and it'll start it all up again. Yeah. Um, so it's really unfortunate. But it kind of just shows you the importance of, of having everything sorted from an early stage and having nothing kind of left. No loose threads. No loose threads. Yeah, exactly. And um, Sorry, when you go. No, I was just saying in terms of, so you mentioned there about staff, but a lot of small businesses may be using contractors and freelance staff and may not have those kind of contracts in place or, um, you know, it could be a very loose verbal agreement or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Yeah. Is that an issue? Yes. An investor will expect. Afraid to going to say that. <laughs> an investor will expect to see a contractor on an agreement. Now, it could be a two pager. It could be a two pager that says the contractor will provide marketing services for ten hours a month. They'll get paid at the end of every month. The end. That's fine. Um, but they will be looking at things in particular, like does the freelancer or contractor still own what they are doing? for you or do you own it because that's a that's a big one and where does the copyright lie exactly because at law the copyright lies with the contractor it doesn't Mm. lie with you so if it's not written in a contract everything that's in your business might not actually be owned by your business and that's terrifying to an investor so if you had uh, this might be being a bit silly but say you had (laughs) you were working with someone and it was a social media person and they were doing all of your posts and they designed all of your posts on canva and all that kind of thing if if you had a disagreement or they just suddenly just got up out of the wrong side of the bed one day and decided yeah. to delete all your you still had access to your Instagram and delete it all they, could. they probably can do that if you've yeah. not got anything in your contract that says otherwise yeah. now if you have a contract that says they have to act in accordance with best practice they can't do that because that's not best practice yeah and um, but you would also need something in the contract that says that they 
don't own what they're creating. Yeah. Because if they do own it, it's theirs. They can do whatever they want. Mm. So that's really important. And I, whenever I come on these kind of podcasts, I always think, oh my God, I'm just putting the fear of God into everyone. <laughs> um, but it's really yeah. not my intention because all of this can be fixed. And if people are on the lead up to getting investment, it's much better to know now than to open your doors. The investors come in, they find a lot of things. And as I said, you know, it can cause the investor to run away or it can put a, a massive pause on the whole thing until you get it sorted. And I think it's, it's like so many more people are working with influencers now. So that basically yeah. once the influencer has done that particular job for you or whatever it is, that you have the rights to those images after if the fact. You've written that down. Yeah. You know, yeah. that you can use it yeah. in your advertising or, yeah. or whatever it might be. There are, there's just so many things to actually think about. And it is, it is like a can of worms when you open it up. And I don't mean it in that way. And like you say, it's not to put the, the fear of God in people, but it's actually, yeah. you know, what, what, you know, the things that could go wrong or that you could be yeah. being exposed to. A hundred percent. And I think it's so much better for people to listen to this podcast and freak out now to freak out when an investor has come knocking and started rooting through everything and they're thinking oh my god I need to do this now and and in a lot of cases you'll get an investor that says okay no problem I'll just put you in touch with my lawyers who'll fix it all for you and it's seven grand and you think if I'd just done this over time and gone out and got good quotes and worked with firms that specialize in this kind of thing it wouldn't have cost me that and I wouldn't have had the panic and the stress and everything that comes with it either yeah and having to go with that person because yeah. it's last minute and you need to you and need you've to, got no you option to keep the conversation yeah. you keep you need to keep yeah. the cogs turning and the conversation going absolutely and anything else that you'd want to kind of fit in there as well I guess the last thing would just be GDPR now if you're a launching business that hasn't really started trading yet which a lot of them are when they're getting investment that won't really be applicable to you mm-hmm. the answer to those questions will just be we don't trade yet, so we don't collect data. Um, but if you are trading, then they'll want to know how you comply with GDPR. So I've already mentioned registering with the ICO, yeah. having a privacy and cookies policy and a pop-up banner on your website. Um, they'll also expect that if you're passing personal data to a third party, that you've got a contractual arrangement in place with them to protect that data. And if you've got if you're collecting data from clients, you'll expect to have wording in your client contracts as well. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that um I'm setting up a new business and it's all like it's at the very early stages so part of it is still but I'm just like okay my my to-do list is now getting getting longer and longer but it is it's better to be safe and sorry and know that you are relatively watertight yeah. or you know fairly it is to that. and actually when I'm rhyming all these things off they can sound very overwhelming but actually for most small businesses at the very early stages they need to have set up right and done all those things that I mentioned which none of them which take very long at all they need to have really good client contractor terms conditions they need to have website documents think about trademark and that's kind of it like because they won't even have taken on staff yet or anything like that these are all things that come as you go along but as long as you've got a really good client agreement your website's fine and you're thinking about your trademark that's just three things what about copyright with designs I know we talked about trademark in terms of brand name and, and the brand you own but yeah. cop, uh, copyright of your designs is a is a harder thing to do yeah so there's there's kind of two elements of copyright there's just kind of pure and simple copyright which is once you create something you own it um which is great because you don't need to register it but it also makes it quite hard to prove that it was you that owned it and prove that it was you that came up with it if someone goes off and pinches your stuff so in that situation it's about making sure as i mentioned that like you've got contract clauses in place with contractors so you own the copyright they produce for you and yeah. um, making sure there's nothing in your client 
client contract that's transferring everything you own over to a client, unless that's the intention, but it often isn't. Um, having disclaimers on things that you're putting out there, so like ebooks, lead magnets, like yeah. anything like that, disclaimers saying that this is your copyright and no one else can steal it. The other part is a kind of more specialised form of copyright, which is design rights. Um, and you can register them. Now, they're not registrable every, everywhere, but you can register them in the UK and in the EU. Um, we don't deal with them mainly because it only costs 50 quid to register them. So we yeah. say to clients, just go and do it yourself. And it's not a difficult process. Um, the only thing I would say is if you're like an e-commerce provider and you've got 100 products, all of a sudden that 50 quid becomes quite expensive. Yeah. Um, so with that, we say kind of maybe think about protecting your flagship products because we have you have ownership of copyright sitting in your products anyway. It's mm -hmm. just having that design registration gives you that extra protection. So say kind of pick your main products and, and focus on registering them. But say if you had a design and rather than the shapes, say it's a print and that yeah. you, you use that print across 10 items instead of registering the design rights of the 10 items because they're all different shapes, you can just register the design right yes. on the print. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You might even be able to register that as a trademark as well, depending on okay, so what the design looks like. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people that, that might be listening that have a particular handwriting with their style or like that they might introduce yeah. one, one print and they put it into three different colors for their season across their variety mm -hmm. of items. So for that peace of mind, um, it, it's yeah. really worth doing. And I remember, um, I think I sent it to you going, God, this is a horror story. And it was one of the brands <laughs> that had, um, it wasn't their name, but it was a particular product that they brought out for Christmas time and they brought it out every year and it, they, mm -hmm. they called it a particular thing. And yeah. somebody else just came along, trademarked that name, and then they had to take all of that product off, so off sale that they've that they've already been doing. It's awful. Now, in that case, the person that was there first technically has the right to invalidate the trademark or invalidate the registered design. They can apply for that to, be ha to happen. And it's basically legal proceedings that says that that should never have been registered in the first place. Mm -hmm. But that's really expensive. I mean, it's really expensive. We're talking tens of thousands to rectify that. Yeah. And most small business owners just can't even comprehend that so it's better just to get the protection and get it from the start it'll cost you a few hundred pounds or if it's design rights 50 quid yeah so i think for those listening that they may have a brand name that they've trademarked and registered but if, yeah. if they're starting to create sub brands or sub names that mm -hmm. are growing legs and becoming bigger yeah. parts of their ranges um or a collection they bring out every year that that they have a lot of yeah. product under it's definitely worth um investing in because just my heart goes out to those small businesses that that oh. happens to them it's just do you know i had one a couple of years ago and she came on one of our free legal advice calls and oh god i could have wept for her and she'd put six months into building this brand she hadn't launched it yet or she was just no she hadn't launched it yet and I mean, she put all her savings and everything into it and she was so excited and she was a week from launching and they applied to register their trademark and they'd had an opposition from a, a massive, very, you know, very rich conglomerate company. And I had to sit and tell her that you don't have a leg to stand on here. They were here first. They have a better argument. And even if they didn't have a better argument, they have more money than you, which means that they will fight it and you will lose and it was awful it was awful she was a week from launching and god love her she had to pull it all back and she had to go and do it all again and it cost her fortune and and it's not nice i hate that i'm always the bearer of bad news always um and if she if she'd done trademark searches at the beginning 
yeah. or she's spoken to us six months before we'd have said to her don't use that name it's not going to work and she could have spent all that time on something else yeah no it's, it's terrifying it is it's doing that due diligence like you said right at the beginning yeah. and um in terms of so let me just relook at my notes here um would you probably say that that's we can say that's it what do you think or not a bit more um i can talk about the investor process if you want but yes, it may be a bit great. boring um <laughs> maybe just a quick what i'll do is i'll ask you um just in terms of that an overview of mm -hmm. the investor okay. process and okay. babs based on your experience and the clients that you've dealt with what's the if you can give us an overview of what the investor process is yeah so normally you'll go to an investor with your pitch deck or however you're, you're kind of looking to to start conversations they'll say that they're interested and then they'll come to you and, and look to, to invest in the business now it'll look a little different if you've gone and got investment from like a big venture capital firm compared to like five angel investors each are putting in 10k something like that those are going to look like very different processes if it's the latter if it's a kind of family and friends investment round or just people with a lot of money, but still not as big, much money as like a big venture capital firm. A lot of the time you will be responsible for drafting the documents and that'll just be like a shareholders agreement, a normal shareholders agreement and um, subscriptions. So basically say they're putting in this amount of money for this number of shares and um, they'll transfer the money. And um, once it's all done, once they've completed their due diligence, if that's what they want to do, a lot of smaller investors don't, but bigger investors always will. Mm -hmm. um, and then you kind of do your filings, sort all the company's house, get your money and you're sorted. Um, if it's all a, done, if it's, all, done. All as done. easy as all that. Done. All done. Um, 50 if more it's, grand in the bank. I know. Um, if it's like a bigger investor, what they'll tend to do is come to you with their documents. Now, their documents will not be founder friendly. They will be investor friendly, which is why taking legal advice is really, really important. There's a lot of founders out there who use things like seed legals. Um, I am not against seed legals. I know a lot of lawyers speak badly of them. I'm not in the business of that. But I think it is important for founders to be aware that they don't get legal advice from seed legals. It's a very simple and automatic and electronic process, which makes everything nice and smooth. Oh, it's seed legals, bit of a put in your information and we'll spit yeah. out the contract. Right yeah. There. Now, investors love it because it's kind of investor friendly, but it's also because they just run the same process with every company that they invest in, so it's really easy. But founders will come to me after they've done an investment round and they'll say, I didn't realise I signed up to this or I didn't realise the investor had this right. So it's not to knock that kind of platform, but to say that legal advice alongside it is really, really important so that you understand. Um, but regardless, you'll get those inv investor documents in if it's a big investor. You'll read through them, hopefully take legal advice. You'll negotiate as best a position as you can. You will, with a big investor, probably have to give up some things that you didn't want to, but they'll probably also give you a lot of money. So you might be happy with it. Um, and then it's the same as before. So once the due diligence is finished, once you've agreed the documents, sign it, get all your filings done, and then the money comes across. Um, the due diligence process could take two or three weeks or it could take six months. And it depends about being investor ready, like I mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. The negotiation of the legal documents could take six weeks or six months. Um, yeah. Hopefully, if you're able to work with a solicitor that is quite efficient and doesn't get hung up on too many things, and the lawyers on the other side are the same, it'll go through quite quickly. Great. And um, you're just giving me so much food for thought in terms of <laughs> the amount that you need to have ready. But like I said, it is just getting it ready in, in bits and pieces. 
Oh yeah. And, and only yeah. what you need when you need it rather than, yeah. and for, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's thinking about it, there is a lot, you know, it's, it's stages, mm-hmm. you know. Oh my goodness. If you try and do it all this week, you're going to be a lost cause and you're just going to really overwhelm yourself. And also you're going to take your time and effort away from your business, which mm-hmm. isn't the point either. This stuff should be dealt with. You should, speak to a lawyer and get them to deal with it for you or it should be dealt with this on the sidelines and and you should work through one thing a week one thing a month whatever works for you and um, it's not about overwhelming it's just about having a to-do list to go through and even if you're not looking for an investment those th- there's so much good practice and be- best mm-hmm. practice in terms of what you've said about and things you need to do about the the ICO uh, the trademark and all of that so if 100%. if you're listening and you may have just started or you're about to start or you think you know investments 10 years down the line for you still get those other things in your business because you do need them 100 because if you think why does an investor want them an investor wants them because they want to know that their money is safe how do they know their money is safe if the business is being run properly if if the business is not being run properly even if you don't have investment how do you know your money is safe like that's what it makes it really important your money your reputation your yeah. you know your your assets whatever it might be you know products everything brand name all that kind of thing but thank you babs so much for joining me how do people work with you where do they find you um so you can find me on my website which is jamesonlaw.legal or you can find me on linkedin which is babs nealon and then on instagram it's babs jameson law see you're still babs jameson Jameson i know it used to be babs jameson lawyer and then i said let's change it to jameson law so people don't think my surname's jameson anymore but to be honest like i I write on my signature that my maiden name was jameson because i was like i I want them to know that it's still my firm (laughs) yeah i see that it's named yeah yeah but thank you again so much and i uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode i'll back again next week a with a great guest another great guest if you've enjoyed this episode of start scale succeed i would really appreciate if you could leave a review and i'll be back again next week see you then thank you bye